we'd like to welcome you back to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for April 29th, 2019. And now we're going to start into, of course, I've already started kind of the Bible study in the last part, but we're going to kind of continue on here. And um, I titled this part, The Demonic Realm, This Is Getting Too Real. Why is nobody talking about this? That's the, the name of this video. As I've said to you before, if anybody in this world ought to understand the spirit world, it ought to be a Christian. You should understand it. You should know that you're not living, walking, breathing in the midst of humanity, that you're living, walking, breathing in the midst of spirits. And that, my friends, should be very conscious upon your mind tonight. The Word of God was written to inform you and to guide you into all truth. There are two basic types of unclean or evil spirits that show up in the New Testament. One is translated time and again by the King James translators as unclean spirit. These are unclean spirit beings. The other is translated time and again by the New Testament translators 59 times as a matter of fact as devils. And it's translated from the Greek word daimonion. The other one is akatharos, is translated unclean spirit from the Greek text. So there is a little bit of a difference there between the difference in the usage in the New Testament of an unclean spirit on one hand and a demon on the other. I've done a lot of study in this. I've done a lot of research into what these beings are and where they came from. And I can't find one word in the New Testament that makes me believe that these unclean spirit beings are somehow some kind of an army of Satan. Just the contrary. They have their own mind and they are in absolute and complete rebellion against God. They are spirits. They and Satan undoubtedly have the same motives. They and Satan may undoubtedly be together at times. But to come across with the idea where somehow or another that Satan is their boss is a misunderstanding. He is the leader of a group of fallen angels. And you find them in the book of Revelation chapter number 12. Well, I, I, I kind of disagree on, on that aspect of it because I do believe he's the prince of the power of the air. He is probably, he's, he's the head of the hierarchy there. Now, how that all exactly works from a governmental standpoint in the satanic kingdom, you know, there's speculation and there's room to, you know, speculate on that. Where the Bible says Satan and his angels fought against Michael and his angels. In plain words, fallen angels against holy angels. But let's not jump ahead. Let's look at the text. These unclean spirits, for every indication in the Word of God, are multitude, millions of them. No way to number them. As many as of the humanity that is alive on the face of this earth right now. They're everywhere. They're everywhere you go. Some of them are in the very houses you live in. Some of them are tormenting you tonight and you're scared to death to tell anybody about it. Some of you are seeing black figures shooting through your house. You're seeing stuff fly off of shelves. You're hearing footsteps go upstairs. You're hearing doors open and close. After I mentioned that the other day in the pulpit, a number of people came up to me and said, Preacher, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
we have experienced the same thing in our house. About a year ago, year and a half ago, a man told me that he stayed in a in a in a in a in a place down there in Chattanooga, one of these old Chattanooga, one of these old uh, Pullman cars. They they've got them set to, set up as a kind of a hotel. He said he went in there, checked in, went to bed, and he said the very night that he went into that room, he said he felt something attack him, and he knew that if he didn't get out of that room, it was going to kill him. Now, I see, this is where I'm like, we're Christians. We have authority over this. We're called to battle this stuff. We, we, this does not have to be the case. You, you, you invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You use the sword of the spirit, which is your primary offensive weapon against devils and demons. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. All of us are called to this battle. It's not just select few. We need to take authority over this type of stuff. You know, I, I just, I, I can't comprehend that, really. That I have to get out of there because I have to flee from Satan or he's going to kill me. No, we're more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? We're more than conquerors. We have that ability. But if you don't have the faith to believe that, you're right. They're going to kick your butt every time. And he's come to this church time and again. I believe he's a real believer. But he told me that that thing drove him from that room. He had to get out of there. Now I can say the man's, I can say the man is insane. I can say the man is, is deluded. I can say he's crazy. Or I can believe the Bible. I can believe the New Testament. These unclean spirits are associated with that which is filthy and vile and corrupt and ungodly and wicked in every sense of the word. They they go to that. That's what they that's what they are. That's why the Bible calls them unclean. The demon, on the other hand, gets more into the spiritual realm, into the area where he's called a devil. He becomes a he's a spirit being that deals more in the religious sphere. And therefore, you could say that he's more closely akin to the devil himself. This is why they give the terminology a devil, a demon. We live in an age when the world is saturated around us with unclean spirits. Everywhere you turn, unclean spirits. You have authority over them in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's not a game. If you want to live in your little make-believe, hunky-dory world, go right ahead. Bury your head in the sand. So when James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, this means humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself before the one who knows infinitely more than you do. Humble yourself for the one who knows the spirit world uh, far more than we do. And he understands the power of Satan and the principalities and the powers and the spiritual wickedness in high places. So how do we walk this Christian walk? How do we fight this? How do we war this warfare? In the last days, the Lord is going to raise up a holy priesthood who's going to overcome Satan. The same way God saved him, the same way God cleansed him by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about these two great weapons, these two cannons God has given us to overcome in the last day. Scripture says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Yes, prayer 
is necessary. Bible study is necessary. But you can pray 24 hours a day and you can read your Bible through 10 times a year. But if you don't have this established in your mind, you don't have the weapons. If you don't understand the power of the blood and the testimony that goes with it, you will not be able to withstand what is coming. <clears throat> we talk about the blood, but we understand so little of it. The Bible said they were tainted by the blood of the Lamb. Let's talk about the blood. If this is so important, if this is our secret of victory, we better know more about it. <clears throat> Let's talk about I don't have to beg and plead, and that's the problem today. The blood is not to be pleaded, it's to be applied. You see, they were to take the lamb in Israel before they left, and they were to slay the lamb and take the blood in a basin, and take a hyssop and sprinkle it on the doorpost. Now suppose they put the blood in the basin and laid it outside the door, and they went inside and said, well, there's power in that blood. I'll just leave it there in the basin. Yes, potentially it has the power, but it's not been applied. He said, you apply it. No angel's going to come. The angel is going to pass. But this is your obligation. You apply the blood. There's power, there's authority, but you apply the blood. What do you mean, apply the blood, Brother Dave? What do you mean, apply the blood of Jesus Christ to my heart? That's to, listen closely. It means the absolute sinlessness of Christ becomes my only ground of faith and victory. My only ground. I have no other ground. I have nothing in myself, nothing of striving, nothing of good works. I can't apply anything in me that's good, that's going to merit my salvation or my favor before God. I apply the blood when I take God's position about where I stand through the blood. I see it through God's eyes. My God says that when the blood, when I have faith in the blood of Jesus, I'm applying it to the doorpost of my heart. When I confess and believe that through the blood I am forgiven, God says, you're forgiven. When the devil comes to accuse me, I have to tell him, look, that was God who came and died in the flesh. That was sinless God. That was God Almighty in flesh. Perfect, sinless, and I am in Christ. God was in Christ. I am in Christ. And if you're going to accuse me, you're accusing a sinless God. You can no more accuse me of sin that's under the blood than you can accuse God of sin. Until you come to that ground, you have to stand on that ground. That's the only way you apply the blood. The blood is not applied until you take that position. I am in Christ. I am not perfect. I am not sinless. But He is perfect. He is sinless. And when by faith I believe in His finished work on the cross, then His righteousness becomes mine. His sinlessness, His perfection is mine. I'll never be perfect, but in the eyes of God, when I'm under the blood, I am perfect. I am righteous before God. No demon devil in hell can take that from my heart. Glory be to God. Folks, you've got, you've got to point to His sinlessness, not yours. His righteousness, not yours. I know Christians have been serving God for many, many years, but they've never been free 
of the tyranny of fear and guilt and condemnation. They're always convicted by Holy Ghost preaching, and they're always striving to be holy. They're trying to hold on to some standard that they've heard or created. They want to please God, but they're always in bondage. Satan accuses them constantly, and they're not walking in the freedom. They've not applied the blood of Jesus Christ. They're not on the ground, that, that ground, that unsinkable ground. They're not on the rock. <coughs> What's wrong? They're still looking inside themselves for something good to present to God. They're still looking. They're still searching. Here's the unshakable ground. God who is holy, sinless, perfect, was in Christ. Christ is sinless, perfect. And I am in Christ. And by faith in my position, I never let the devil take that from me. When I am in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no fear because the blood I have applied the blood to my heart. He said it. Here's the basin. Apply it. Is that awesome scriptural tenets to uh, think about? And <clears throat> I'm just going to give you some verses. A believer's authority in Christ and warring in the spirit. Uh, and this is an addition to applying the blood and putting on the full armor of God and things of this nature. Uh, who is the king of glory? Psalm 24, 8. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Isaiah 59, 19 says, So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. This is a good verse to quote back to the devil when he's coming against you. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit, capital S, so it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, shall lift up a standard against him. Jeremiah 51, 20. Thou art my battle axe and weapons of war, for with thee I will break in pieces the nations, and with thee I will destroy kingdoms. Psalm 60, verse 12, and also 108, 13. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shall condemn. This is the heritage of of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So if you're a servant of the Lord, this is your heritage. And what is that? No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. Now, going back to the last study I did on all this horrific stuff with the illegal aliens and the invasions and all the garbage they have against us, these are the type of verses that we need to have memorized and in the forefront of our mind regarding what is coming. Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Psalm 91, 13, thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shall thou trample under feet. And we just went over that in Psalm 91. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then Ephesians 10 through 12 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So that's something we should be doing every day. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So whatever you're going through on a daily basis, you may think it's just the person you're dealing with or the circumstance you're dealing with, when in reality there is almost always some demonic 
fallen angelic evil component to what you're dealing with. So what he was talking about, applying the blood of Jesus Christ and these other scriptural tenets are, are really the way to go after these types of things. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning fleshly, meaning like it's not like you take out a literal sword and hack up your enemies, okay? You use the sword of the spirit to go against your true enemies, which are the spiritual ones. Um, so for our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, uh, here's another uh, video I'm going to play. It's called Ancient Portals, Doors That No One Should Open, How the Devil Enters In. One of the most important practical questions in this whole theme one that many people are concerned about. That is, how do demons come in? So this is Derek Prince, who's, who's one of the main guys I've played a lot lately, man, man of God that I've played lately, and he has the, uh, well, I'll get into one of his teachings after we're done that I've went over before. How do they gain entry to human personalities and lives? My answers that I'm going to offer to you are based on experience, and I'm not by any means suggesting that they are totally complete. But I will, I will list seven different ways in which they may be able to come in. The first one is what I call occult background. In other words, somewhere in your family history, there has been involvement with the occult and when he... involvement with the occult if you didn't hear that any kind of occult involvement in your family lineage or history you talk about the occult you realize that you're dealing with false gods that's really what it is in other words there has been a breaking of the first two commandments which are the basic commandments thou shalt have no other god beside me thou shalt not make any graven image to worship all forms of idolatry automatically expose people to demons. And in connection with those two commandments, the Lord said that he would visit the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. I don't believe it applies so much to the other commandments, but it's given in the context of the first two commandments. And so, if your father, your grandfather, or your great-grandfather, or some other corresponding relative was involved in the occult or idolatry, then there is an opening into your life for evil. And this, is, this doesn't go away once you get, just get saved, like a lot of Christians kind of assume, okay? And this is something you have to break off. This is something that, you know, and, I'm, and I go through two things. The Derek Prince breaking curses, which is simple, super simple, and then the Win Worley uh, breaking uh, deliverance, the the mass deliverance that he does. Those two will cover a ton of bases. I'm not saying it's comprehensive and it's the only thing you need, and I'm going to get into that after we listen to this. And I've got into this in a lot of previous teachings. I'm only going to touch on it today, but I give you the information on it. But it's I just think it should be like once a person gets saved, this should be like. Two of the th first things that any Christian should be doing. Because your life is going to be so much less complicated with all this curses and demonic baggage that are actually broken off you. 
if you leave them in place, you're just going to have a very vexing life as a Christian, from what I can see. Spirits. Now you might say that's not fair. Well, the truth of the matter is the devil isn't fair. But what I want you to understand is no one is condemning you for having the problem. Condemnation will only come to you if you reject the solution. That's where condemnation comes. All right? The second way is through personal occult involvement. There is a saying in English, I don't know whether you've ever heard it, he who sups with the devil must use a spoon with a long handle. I just want to tell you there is no spoon made with a handle long enough to make it safe to sup with the devil. You give him your little finger and before you can turn round, he's grabbed above your elbow. There is just no way that is safe to be involved in the occult. So many Christians just play with horoscopes and then think there's no harm in it. All right, the third is what I call prenatal influences. Prenatal influences. Things that happen while you are still in your mother's womb. And many people have an evil spirit enter them in that phase of their life. The commonest single reason is rejection. A mother resents the baby she's carrying in her womb. Maybe she wasn't married and it's going to be an embarrassment or maybe she's not getting on well with her husband and she just doesn't want another burden in the family. Or maybe the financial situation makes it difficult for them to care for the children. But whatever, she just resents that little life that's starting in her womb and that little person in the womb is very sensitive to attitudes. It's not just a fetus, it's a person. And it comes out with a spirit of rejection already in it. Or a woman who's pregnant may experience some kind of a shock, a moment of fear. She yields to the fear, the spirit of fear enters her, has two options can stay in the woman or stay in the infant in her womb. May find it more convenient to stay in the infant, you understand? So when the infant is born, it comes out with the spirit of fear. Let me show you a scripture which most people don't notice. In 1 Peter chapter 3, which is advice to wives. I just want to bring out this one aspect of it. Uh, telling wives that the pattern for them in the Bible is the attitude of Sarah to Abraham. And I'm not laboring this point, don't get nervous. First uh, Peter 3, 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and it doesn't end there, and are not afraid with any terror. To be a daughter of Abraham, you have to be able to resist the sudden shock of fear. And again, I've dealt with many cases of people who needed deliverance because of some shock that came to the mother while they were still in the mother's womb. Another interesting thing is, I noticed when I was full-time in this ministry, 
or let me say much more engaged in it than I am regularly now, that there were people in a certain age group in the United States, many of whom seemed to need deliverance from rejection. And I began to think maybe they were all born in the same period. And then I began to say, what period were they born in? And I discovered they were born during the Great Depression. And I reasoned out, the mother already has six mouths to feed and not enough money, and here comes the seventh child. And she may be a good woman, but she inwardly resents the responsibility of that next child. And it is born with a spirit of rejection. All right, we don't have time to dwell on any of these. Uh, pressures in early childhood. I have discovered that a child's spiritual and emotional defenses are not strong enough to keep out persistent demon pressure. Now, it says in James 3.16, something that's worth bearing in mind. James chapter 3, verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. So where there is an atmosphere of strife and disharmony between the parents, it generates a condition in which the children will be automatically exposed to demon influence. And I would say more than 90% of children are incapable of keeping them up. My observation is that 80% of demon problems have started in a person's life before the age of five. And the parents are responsible for that situation. You understand? Number six, moment or place of weakness. It can be emotional weakness, can be physical weakness. A woman is standing on a street corner and a horrible automobile accident takes place in front of her eyes. She's exposed to the spirit of fear. Or a woman is expecting to get married and at the last moment the engagement is cancelled and she yields to the spirit of disappointment and goes through life an incomplete person. I remember I was teaching once years ago in a certain place and there was a lady who was Pentecostal and very spiritual sitting on the front row, and I happened to name the spirit of disappointment. And I watched her face. It convulsed. She changed totally. Her whole personality changed until she was delivered from that spirit of disappointment. See, if you build your hopes on something and it doesn't work out, you're probably exposed to an evil force. Now, another kind of weakness is physical weakness. And the last one is sinful acts or habits. If you persist in a certain sinful habit, you can sooner or later it will become demonic. The chief object of the devil's hatred is man. For one reason, he is the object of God's love. God loves you more than he does the mountains. He gave them strength but he gave you his son. God loves you more than he does the flowers. Oh, they're pretty and they're fragrant. <laughs> but they have no soul within them. They can't kiss God goodnight. You see, man is the apex of all of God's majesty, of all of God's love. 
He's the apex of it all. So they, demons can hurt God through hurting you. Now that's very simple. If I had a little son, three years old, and you hated me, and you were afraid of me, the best way to hurt me is through the son. Let me hit him. Let me knock him around. Let me do something bad to him. That'll make his father very sad. It makes our father in heaven sad to see devils push you around, to hurt you, you see? Because you're, you're loved by God. You're his child. And God doesn't want you pushed around, beat around by alien entities. God wants you to be free. So the devil, the devil throws out his hatred against, against all of God's creation. Every blight in this world is caused by Satan. And you have the power to put him on the run. You have the power to defeat him. You have the power to destroy him. You don't have to put up with junk like that. One of the most... So we have that. Just some good scriptural things to bear in mind now so to get free from devils please take these steps and i give you i'm listed out here i've I've been listing this more and more to my teachings how to pass from curse to blessings by Derek prince who we just heard for the majority of the audio and it's a you really should if you haven't listened to it you should listen to it and then you pray the prayer at the end and you might want to do it more than once okay because sometimes there's layers to these things there's layers to demonic infestation it's like i'm peeling a layer of an onion and then i give you all the the information here in the pdf for april 29th 2019 at contendingfortruth.com and then the second thing regarding deliverance is you would need to go through this session it's two parts as many times as necessary it's really not two parts it's the, the audio is two parts but really the 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 um mass deliverance it starts at the very end of part one and then it's all of part two. But if you've never listened to it, you need to listen to part one because he lays the groundwork on why Christians need deliverance. Okay? And it's really the final frontier in Christians getting free from whatever they're battling, whatever they're trying to overcome. It doesn't mean your life's going to be pixie sticks and whatever, but you're going to have all of so much of this demonic baggage eliminated, which is going to totally change you as a person and free you up on so many different levels i've done this like right now probably i'm on my my 12th and i haven't done just this but i mean i've done quite a bit in the last year plus and uh i'm telling you i am i am changing in a very positive way every time i do these things i feel things i used to struggle with all of a sudden i don't struggle with near as much it's not my imagination guys not i'm telling you when i start coughing and sometimes vomiting and dry heaving out of nowhere during these sessions for no for no apparent reason other than demons coming out of me it's not my imagination okay it's not um so and then if you still feel like you need more help you will be in a much better position to proceed with further deliverance one-on-one win Worley said that he said if you would go through this i think i went through the win Worley one like three or four times until i really didn't manifest any more signs of being having uh demons come out of me uh then i went on i went on to different ones and you can key in things on the on youtube you can say okay what if i'm dealing with um bitterness or unforgiveness and we're gonna talk about that today well just key in deliverance bitterness unforgiveness and you know i would try to go with people that 
your maybe Win Worley or Derek Prince or or more uh, people that you might be more well known that do this. Uh, there's other resources you can seek out on the internet, and then also um, sometimes I really believe you need one-on-one. And um, here is a link called SpiritualWarfareTeam.com, and they tell you in America state by state where are the deliverance ministers and this is i think the most trusted network i could find okay so there's um spiritualwarfareteam.com and then you can click on whatever state that you want to have so okay then here's here's another video that i'm going to play uh and it's called if this doesn't wake christians up then i don't know what will do you know that it's possible for your soul to be saved and your life to be wasted I say that again. Do you know that it's possible for your soul to be saved and your life to be wasted? I'm praying tonight that this message, which will be very straightforward, will be branded into the conscience of every man and woman in the church. So that forever afterwards, you will not be able to get this out of your conscience. That the shape of this will be branded there. You girls and women, you have one life, either to be a Jezebel now I, I don't agree with that because not everybody who is um unsaved or saved as a woman it's not that you just can't delineate it like that not, not everybody that's let's say that's unsaved is necessarily a jezebel they could be somebody that's a nice person and think that their works are going to get them to have, so i don't think we can i just want to make that point i don't think we can um delineate it so clearly where they're either a jezebel or a mary well no there, there's a lot of in-betweens that that you can also be and you men you boys you have one life to be a judas or a paul not many lives only one hebrews 9 27 and as it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment so christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation now verse 27 reads it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment we shall live here once that's what the verse is telling us that's what it's reminding us of and that's what you must remember you will live here once even the Lord Jesus Christ was motivated by that thought that's why he said in John 9 I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day the night is coming when no one can work there's an allotted span of time for you to do your life's work and it's in that one life and it's in that book in heaven that has your name on it okay that the bible talks about you know that i on, on the on the psalm i talked to was like one i don't know 134 i believe so yeah one sorry 139 so it's something to really think about that's why this question of only one life must have urgency only one life lads but so very brief. I'm not talking tonight about a thousand years. 
If I was talking about a thousand years, you might be able to live a little loosely to this subject and ignore it. I'm not even talking about 500 years. I'm not even talking about 200 years. Frankly, I'm preaching this message because there is no time to lose. Each hour is of measureless value. Each minute is a sacred trust. And each hour and each minute, according to our text, will soon be examined in detail at the judgment seat of Christ. And then eternity. High up in the north, wrote Hendrik van Loom, in the land called Svidjod, there stands a rock. It is a hundred miles high and a hundred miles wide. Once every thousand years, a little bird comes to this rock to sharpen its beak. When the rock has been thus worn away, then a single day of eternity will have gone by. He's giving you a perspective of eternity where you have a rock a thousand miles wide, a thousand miles high, and a little bird comes a th once every thousand years to sharpen its beak. And once the rock is worn away from him sharpening his beak, which would take immeasurable amounts of time, obviously, that's one day in eternity. Where will you spend eternity? And what will you have to show there for the life you have lived here? So that's something that needs to be in the forefront of our mind. What will we have to show God in eternity for the life that we lived here? I mean, it's, I'm trying to get everybody on more of an eternal perspective here. The Bible is always telling us, always telling us, always telling us. All my thinking about this life should be done with eternity in mind. Who would dare to go through such a brief life without thinking of eternity? That's why in old churches here and there, you'll sometimes see inscriptions over the door. And I know of one church which has three doors with these three inscriptions therefore on the front. Over one door it says, all that pleases is but for a moment. On another door it says, all that troubles us is but for a moment. And on the central door it says, that only is important which is eternal. So I'm asking you tonight in this bugle call to stop and think about reality and to make up your mind that you will live for then. I'm asking you tonight not to live in such a way that everything you have ends in time. Only one life so very brief. Because if I have only one life and it's very brief, what are life's great constraints? What are the really important things in life? What are they? Matthew 22, 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, Jesus, 
testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What's the most important thing of all? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus showed us there what are life's great constraints. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Because you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's take them now. Only one life, so very brief. But these are life's great constraints. These are the things which really matter. This is what the judge of the world said when he was here in the world. The one whose judgment seat we're going to. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Love God. You know who God is. You've heard it week after week and month after month and some of you since childhood. But do you know God? Some of you have begun to love the things of God, but do you love God? Some of you have begun to love God's people, but do you love God? Think of him. He's lovely in and of himself. Even the holy angels who've never sinned, when they look at him, can do nothing but admire his glory. It's all beauty. It's all purity. It's all truth. It's all right. It's all eternal. They love him. They've never sinned, but they see nothing but loveliness and holiness in him. You think what he's done for you. You were a sinner. You are a sinner. You're a rebel on his earth. The great creator came in your flesh without your sin and died for your sin. The great judge bled at Golgotha. The one who upholds everything by his own word was crucified for you, if you're a believer. For you. That's what Paul was thinking about when he wrote, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's what Betty Dusvan was thinking about when she wrote the old chorus. After all he has done for me, after all he has done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all he has done for me. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we all fail here. You and me. Here are some facts we've got to face squarely and bravely. 200,000 souls a day passing one by one away in Christless guilt and doom. 
we live with that enormous joy in our hearts of being the ransomed children of God. Heaven for us, hell for them. Hell, hell for them. If we could just catch a glimpse of hell, it would be impossible for you and for me and for anybody in the church ever to live a normal, sleepy, mediocre, complacent Christian life again. If the gospel is untrue, throw it away. And if you sincerely believe and have determined that the gospel is untrue, why on earth are you here? But if the gospel is true, then surely it must be proclaimed. This generation of men and women and boys and girls will have to be reached by this generation of Christian men, Christian women, Christian boys and Christian girls. After death, the judgment. So how will we answer for the Great Commission? Love God. Love your neighbor, says Jesus. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to love ourselves. What's staggering about selfish people is that they don't love themselves enough. Because they don't put their best interests first. I want to talk to Christians and I want to talk to myself as a Christian. Do you know that it's possible for your soul to be saved and your life to be wasted? Can I say that again? Do you know that it's possible for your soul to be saved and your life to be wasted? And that these are the ones that at the judgment seat of Christ will be saved, the Bible says, yet so is by fire. And when they come to present what they've done for Christ, they're going to bring wood, hay, and stubble that are all going to be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. So they're saved, but they're saved, yet so is by fire. Okay. They'll have nothing, nothing, no rewards, no anything, essentially. They get into, they get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. After death, the judgment. What will count then? What will count? What's in my best interests? Well, it's in my best interest to love God and love my neighbor. A young man had been converted just a few weeks and died. Other Christians in his bedroom heard his closing words. Must I go and empty-handed One of them, telling that to a Christian friend, moved that Christian friend to sit down and write the old hymn which older folk in the church will know. Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet? Not one day of service give him? Lay no trophy at his feet? Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Saviour so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Life is very short. It's very, very brief. 
The Bible says the days of our lives are 70 years. If by reason of strength they are 80 years, and it works from there. Normally, life is 70 years. Some of you have wasted today. You've only 3,640 Sundays. That's all. If you go to church once a week, you'll hear 3,640 sermons. Not much, is it? Why not come twice? Or three times in the week? You live a little under 26,000 days. But you can remember a thousand days ago easily, even the youngest person in the church. You live just under 614,000 hours. On that calculation, how much time do you have left? Take out the hours for sleeping. Take out the hours for washing, which is a long time for many. Take out the hours for eating. Take out the hours for traveling. Take out the hours of illness. And take out the hours of study or where somebody else controls your daily timetable, like at work. How many, how much time do you have left over which you personally have control? If you've only got one to spend, you spend it wisely. You've only one life. George V had written on his desk those words from the 19th century Quaker Stephen Grellet. Here they are. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness that I can show any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Now the amazing thing about the human conscience is this. That even if you don't believe what I'm saying, you believe what I'm saying. That even if you reject the truth of what I'm saying, there is rooted inside you a conviction which you can suppress with the years, but which is there nonetheless, which is telling you that these things are so. And this truth is the truth which the scripture will not let us forget that there is a last day. So we have that, which also further kind of brings things into perspective. So then uh, let's shift gears a little bit here. And I got this email from a listener. And um, I'm going to just keep him anonymous as I do with these and uh, his question and this is kind of partly why I'm doing this study because I've, I've been a little bit alarmed at some of the questions I've been getting lately and I'm, I don't mean this in a judgmental way but it's like when you hear this question I think you'll understand why he said uh, good evening Dr. Johnson with divorce rates at almost 70% and I don't know if that you know, it's accurate, but it wouldn't surprise me. And monogamy not being as much of a thing as it used to be. Uh, how is a Christian supposed to avoid sex outside of marriage? And then he goes on to say, should we absolutely avoid it at all cost? 
or just sleep with one particular person, essentially outside of marriage, and not sleep around with everyone, everybody else we see. This scares me, this type of question from a longtime listener. Because it really makes me think I must have done a really bad job if you've been listening to me for a long time. Now, I'm not a pastor, and I don't call myself a preacher. I just call myself a watchman. But, I mean, this, like, flabbergasts me. I mean, and not sleep around with everybody, like, that might be an option. I might say yes. <laughs> oh, boy. My response. <clears throat> well, of course, we have to avoid sex outside of marriage, as it is fornication. And the Bible is very clear on this subject. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that neither the unrighteous, that the, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the whole thing about, you know, well, I prayed that prayer a long time ago, but I've lived like the devil and I've done whatever I want and there's been no chastisement on my, and, or, you know, that type of stuff. The Bible says that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Be not deceived. In the first one they mentioned, neither fornicators, okay, sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, sex within marriage, you're married, but then you're, you're having an adulterous affair, nor effeminate, which, you know, the gay, gays and these types, um, homosexuals and bisexuals and transgenders and i think they would all fit into that category um you know you see romans one about men burning after men and women burning after women and being turned over to a reprobate mind nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards drunkards meaning you know people that get drunk it's so one thing I think to have a glass of wine with a meal. It's another thing to be getting drunk or reviler, nor revilers. And for some of these words, you can look them up in the Noah Webster 1828. You can just key in Noah Webster 1828. Like, I'll do that for revilers. One who treats another with contemptuous language mean having contempt you know i'm you know i know i've been i'm not saying i haven't been guilty of that one um but the whole thing is identifying that as sin in repenting to god and asking and I, I and i do i think a lot of this relates back to deliverance because if you're loaded with demons that are pushing you in these areas it's very very hard to overcome these things if not impossible so that's why I think it's so important. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so that doesn't sound like they're going to heaven to me. And, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith. These are the fruit of this, the Holy Spirit that lives inside a born-again Christian. It doesn't mean we walk around in sinless perfection. Okay, but we should strive for that and not condone you know, sin in our lives. And then the Bible goes on to say, and such were some of you, 
so before we were saved okay these things were common but you're washed but you're sanctified but you're justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and by the spirit of god but that doesn't mean that you know oh okay i can do all these things because i'm sanctified and i'm justified in the name of the lord jesus christ and the spirit of god because i prayed that little prayer a long time ago and i'm good with god because i can do whatever i want it, no it doesn't say that then it goes on in verse 15 to say know ye not that your body know ye not that your bodies are members of christ shall i then take the member of members of christ and make them members of an harlot meaning when you fornicate and let's say a guy and he has sex with a harlot well god forbid and then it says what know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body for two saith he shall be one flesh that's the way it's supposed to be in the bonds of marriage but when you join yourself to any guy joining with a woman woman joining with a man outside of marriage or an adulterous relationship or whatever you're becoming one flesh and it's like you're giving a part of your soul to that person i've heard that stated before about promiscuous women that you know after they get above a certain amount of men that they've slept with in particular because it's progressive that they get to a point where they're just empty and there's nothing inside because they've given everything away that was meant to be for one person and i'm not saying that that wouldn't happen to a man as well but he that is joined unto the lord is one spirit then it goes on to say flee fornication every sin that a man doeth is without the body okay so okay i stole something or i said something wrong or these are sins that are without the body in other words but he that is that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body so it's almost like a special category of sins that affects you in a very special way you're you're literally bringing in there's an exchange of demons that go on between the people fornicating people that have been um taken into the spirit world and shown things like this see that that even something like a kiss an initial kiss can start all this off between a man that shouldn't be with a particular woman and it's that initial kiss and there's demonic exchanges that take place there howard Pittman got into that that he saw that take place now i understand a kiss is not fornication but it started the process and it probably led into that And it says, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. So we're not our own. God owns us. Okay? The Bible talks about being crucified with Christ. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that for right now. Hopefully you get the gist. This is not something we need to be doing. And again, if you're struggling with any of this type of stuff, then, you know, the two-step two process that I outlined above, I give you all the links to the Derek Prince breaking curses and the wind whirly. I would do that as your, as your opening salvo of things to do and then go from there. This was sent to me this week. I saw this. World's top rugby player is in danger of losing his career over his Christian faith. Outspoken superstar under fire for religious social media posts. 
And uh, the world's highest paid rugby, uh, rugby player, Israel Folah, he's the world's highest paid rugby player, okay, could lose his career after receiving major backlash for social media posts where he quoted scripture and condemned sinners. Um, I guess, and he said, drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, and idolaters, hell awaits you. Repent, only Jesus saves, the Instagram post reads. Falau, Falau wrote, those that are living in sin will end up in hell unless you repent. Jesus Christ loves you and is giving you time to turn away from your sins and come to him. Right, it's not like God just comes down and thrusts, throws us into hell. If you're in, I mean, he's long suffering, but the long suffering has, um, it, it's just not endless long suffering. There's going to come a time when, you know, you die in that sin and you haven't repented. Okay, well, game over. Then this is the whole instagram post those that are living up and living in sin will end up in hell unless you repent jesus christ loves you and is giving you time to turn away from your sin and come to him now the works of the flesh are manifest these are adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness okay so lasciviousness in the no webster 1828 means looseness a regular indulgence of animal desires or carnal desires wantonness lustfulness uh excitement to lust promoting irregular indulgences um so I, I think you get the point there basically just huge amounts of carnality what what you're dealing with there um which is carnal means flesh the flesh idolatry and there's a lot of there's a lot of things that would come in i mean what about all the people that are addicted to sports and that's their number one passion or video games with guys in particular, or women and Kim Kardashian or whatever. Anything you set up before God, you know, is 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 potentially, well, is an idol. Witchcraft, which I think that's more cut and dry. Hatred. Uh, variance. I'll give you the definition of that. And it, uh, in, the, in the Noah Webster... Uh, difference that produces dispute or controversy and i, I think th what this is in reference to is is that it's it's in an unlawful way is the biblical term of something that causes a, a an unrighteous difference that produces dispute and controversy and disagreement dissension and discord okay so it's something that would would have an unlaw an unlawful or unrighteous uh, attribute that would cause these things bring about these things that were you know that were unnecessary and then emulations which i believe you're just trying to uh well let me let me give you the definition on that okay so you can emulate in like the modern day um vernacular emulating you know you could try to emulate something good but this in this particular context it's the act of attempting to equal or excel in qualities or actions rivalry desire to be superior uh attending with effort to attain it in general in a general sense um it 
and again, I think this could be in a good or a bad sense. But when when you do it in a carnal way because you want to dominate or or um, be superior to somebody is the is the is the context of the Bible, okay? There, which really is that's rooted in really pride, if you think about it. It it also is defined as contention, strife, competition, rivalry accompanied with a desire of depressing and besting others well it's the basis for which most a lot of sports exist if you ask me i mean i mean let's be honest so i just think there's a lot of things that go on in today's day and age that are just totally unbiblical and we're just the church has strayed so far from the bible these kinds of things that i'm talking about are just you know like foreign and, and you can't even wrap your head around them and then wrath, and this is all this is all King James he's quoting, wrath, strife, seditions, um, heresies, which would be like um, you know, heresies in the Bible, false doctrine. And um, sedition is um, denoting a rising or a raging rather than trying to appease. Um, I'm trying to like uh, trying to give you that definition here on the Noah Webster, uh, and then we have heresies, envyings. Obviously, we know what that is. Murders, drunkenness. And there's drunkenness again. Revilings, which I believe we went over that earlier, and um, and the such like of which I tell you before, and as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is what his Instagram post read. Galatians 5, 19 and 21 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then Acts 2.38, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we have these posts. And then I added in Matthew 7.19 through um 727 i added this in jesus talking every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them i, I think when it says but where you shall know them you'll know if they're a true christian or not not everyone that saith unto me lord lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven who but he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven so that is something that we would be good to add to our prayer life is, is, you know, Lord, I yield myself to you and I pray that, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is part of the Lord's prayer, but that you, you, you specifically do the will of the Father, which is in heaven, which you know will always be for your best anyway. You know, it may not be easy. It may not be what the flesh wants to do, but it'll always be what's best for you. So, Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Man, that's hard. Because these, are, these would be 
uh, people that would be very advanced level, would be considered very advanced level Christians by today's standards, don't you think, for the most part? If you were in a ministry and you were doing these things, okay, prophesy in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Scary stuff. But they were deceived, they were deluded, they weren't doing the will of the Father which is in heaven. And then Jesus said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart me ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise man, which built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So I added those in, that, that those verses in. Then back to uh, this rugby player's uh, art report, and it says, he said, the devil has blinded so many people in this world. Repent and turn away from your evil ways. Turn to Jesus Christ who will set you free. Falah said in, an, in another post, he said that. Um, he is the star of the Wallabies rugby team in Australia and is set, and is set to face a three-person panel at the Rugby Australia headquarters in Sydney on May 4th after being charged with a high-level code of conduct breach for his social media posts. <laughs> conduct breach. You know, he's telling people to, to live holy and be righteous and that Jesus saves, and that's a conduct breach. Why? Because we're in the day and age where evil has become good and good has become evil. And then he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. Like an, a prey for animal, like an animal stalks its prey. That's the time we've come to. You think a gay a gay person's going to want to hear any of this, or an, or an atheist or somebody that hates God? They're not going to want to hear any of this. This is hard enough for Christians to hear. Australia's director of rugby uh, supports. He supports. Australia's stance on firing Falau over the post, saying, I want to make it clear, I am very supportive of where Rugby Australia is on this stance. So this Australia director of rugby uh, is very supportive of this and wants him gone. He's the world's number one rugby player. Johnson, oh, his name's Scott Johnson, that's nice. Uh, Scott Johnson, who helped... Wales star Gareth Thomas come to terms with being a homosexual. Oh, isn't that wonderful? When he coached the team in 2006, says he wants a game that includes everybody. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So he thinks he's doing the right thing by doing this, but he's just doing Satan's work. It's obviously a decision that's in the process right now, but I believe, and this is what Falau said, I believe in a God that's in control of all things. Whatever his will is, whether that's to continue playing or not, I'm more than happy to do what he wants me to do. Australia, tennis great Margaret Court, who previously spoke against same-sex marriage, sympathizes with Falau, arguing the penalty he's receiving is severe. He just wants people to come to Christ. I don't think he should be penalized because... 
really, there's a truth there. She continued, what he is saying about repenting is straight out of the Bible. My heart goes out to him because he's being persecuted. Former Wallabies coach Alan Jones, now a popular radio personality, also defended Falah, proclaiming it's got nothing to do with Israel, which is his first name, or rugby, or religion, or homosexuals. Well, I disagree, but then he says, where are we in this country on free speech? Jones asked. He's saying it's a free speech issue, but, you know, it's what he said, which had to do with the Bible, which is the problem. You can't quote scripture, especially those scriptures. You really can't quote those. You won't hear that in 99, probably, percent of the churches, much less some world's largest rugby player putting this out on an Instagram post. You know. Where are we in this country on free speech, Jones asked, after commending Falah for his... For his conviction and Christian commitment. Australians will soon find out if their country will trample on Falah's free speech or if Australian rugby is like director Scott Johnson's. Gosh, I can't stand saying that because it's my name. I feel like I'm responsible. Oh, like director Scott Johnson said, a game that includes everyone. <laughs> this guy's like the polar opposite of me. Oh, I hate that namesake. Anyway, I don't hate him, but it's the whole connection there it's not good um okay so we have that and i i got this question from a listener this week as well listener question about watching porn and not stopping so um he said i've been having problems in the flesh watching porn for a very long time and i've been struggling to stop i feel like i'm programmed to watch it or something this has been going on for over 15 years now on top of being single I have a cell phone, a tablet, a laptop, and a desktop. I don't know. I know it would help if I put them all away, but I need my laptop and my desktop to work on. I do believe in prayer and fasting. The problem is I'm having the hardest time sticking to my fast. I can't seem to make it past two days with rice and water. I mean, that's not even a real, that's not even a real water fast, but, you know, listen, I know I can't go without eating and all. I've tried that too. You know, if you had a gun to your head, I think you could figure it out. I'm sorry. But, you know, maybe I, I, you could say to me, well, I've done, I've done a week, okay, me personally, okay. With, one time I did a week where I did three days and I did no food and no water for three days and then I extended it out to a week of fasting with the rest with water. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me, okay? And, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but we need to figure this out, you know? Uh, we need to figure this one out. Then he says, what would you suggest? Um, I've started praying more, but I find myself repenting just as much. I thought I could handle the problem on my own. I guess not. Yeah, well, if you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to view pornography over and over again, then you're going to have to do whatever it takes to get out of that position. You know, I don't know. Get your laptop in that in a public place. Get get one of those, um, I don't know, they've got them like the porn blocker things stuff. I, I, I don't know how that works. You're going to have to figure it out. Okay, you're going to have to adapt and overcome. We need to be 
mature Christians that can figure this stuff out and you need to get deliverance. I said I said to him in all humility this is super dangerous scripturally. See the report that just broke and it was the report I just read on the rugby player and the, and the Bible verses I quoted. You know, about the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this does not mean you're earning your way to heaven or, or you're earning your way your salvation. This is what that's about, but the Bible does say these things. And um I told him, I said, you need more fear of God. I think that's the remedy for a lot of this. So I would pray for more fear of God. I would do all the deliverances that I that I talked about earlier. I, I, I post them again here. And then I said, um, you need to get deliverance ASAP. I told him about the Derek Prince thing, the breaking the curses, and then and then the um, Win Worley mass deliverance. And then I said, you need to do a, a keyword search on like YouTube like this deliverance from porn lust okay and there's all kind of uh deliverance ministers up there doing deliverance regarding deliverance of lust and pornography you know i don't want to hear you can't do it because we can do all things through christ which strengthen me I think the problem with most of us, and I would even include myself, is that we haven't been sufficiently motivated hard enough. If you were hung out over hell, and you you would find the motivation, guaranteed, if you knew that was where you were going to end up, you're going to need to find and dig deep down and pray to God and get serious with God, find and do whatever it takes. I can't do it for you. I'm not your pastor. I'm not that. I never claim to be. I'm just a watchman. But it can be done. God will provide a way if you're if you're serious about this. And I, I post all this stuff again. I, I'm sorry to be harsh, but it's like I'm getting all these questions now. And, it, and it's like, I'm like, man, I've done a really horrible job over the last, you know, however long I've been in ministry. If I'm If I'm getting questions like this from longtime listeners, you know. Uh, God forgive me. I, I apologize to my listeners. But again, I never did claim to be a pastor. Okay, then I'm, now I'm going to play this. I found myself in hell. The reasons why will surprise you. And this is just solidifies everything we're talking about. It solidifies everything we just read in the Bible. Okay? And um, this is one of the more milder ones, to be quite honest. There's scores of these on the internet about christians that have been shown hell and you got it you say well are they all lying every one of them when they're all coming back telling you to repent telling you to draw nigh, nigh to god telling you to get the sin out of your life telling you to get serious with god if it was of the devil why would they come back saying those things almost universally and consistently i'm not saying every i buy into every single hell testimony up there i'm not saying that but if i can see there's a consistent pattern of people going there and coming back with the same message then it's pretty tough for me to deny so i'm going to go ahead and play this you're at a conference in prayer in 2008 at ihop you're in a prayer prayer there and suddenly did you real when did you realize you were in hell. What, 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 tell me what happened. So um, we were in an evangelism meeting 
the I was worshiping in the back with my eyes closed and then as soon as those as soon as the heat came in the room I watched I She was in an evangelism meeting praying at a prayer meeting and this happened in my eyes I knew something was happening I opened my eyes the front of the room opened like this said and hell was right there and a arm without fingers came flying out of hell and it grabbed a hold of my spirit and it sucked me in and those hell doors are thick and they're heavy and when they slammed shut i knew exactly where i was immediately three things were spoken over me you are in hell eternally for unforgiveness and and there the, the worst regret you can ever imagine was was right then so she was in hell eternally for unforgiveness Okay, now we're gonna, I'm doing a study on forgiveness next. Okay, and, and bitterness and unforgiveness next. But, and you're gonna see the scriptural things it says about unforgiveness. <laughs> okay, pretty tough to deny what this, what this particular Christian lady is saying is not truth. Because there's no way out. You, I knew that there was no way out of hell. Tell me... Tell our audience what you observed. First, I want to say there's no way that I will ever be guilty of uh, exaggerating. Her name is Lori Ditto. Hell. There are not enough. Why would words. you not exact? Why would you not exaggerate? It's worse than any words that I can come up with. Hmm. Uh, when I got there, just the heat. The extreme heat started causing my skin to drip off of me. And the sound of the people screaming broke my eardrums and caused such a pain inside of me. And I knew this was going to go on eternally. And there was no way out of it. My bones, my body twisted in so many ways, breaking. I felt my back break. Did you feel pain in hell? Excruciating pain. And there is not one drop of relief. There's not a drop of water. There's not, there, there's not a drop of light. You can never get to another human being to share that pain. You actually become... Uh, sin you you start looking like this growth you actually lose the formation of a human being because i'm made in the image of god and that changed there it, it it's horrific it's horrific i never want to go back imagine trying to live your life with no god I was never going to touch my grandbaby's face again. Even arguing with my husband, not that that's cool, but you were never gonna get to do any of that. You were never gonna get to say you were sorry. You were never gonna fix anything. To always be in pain and to know that it was, it kept ramping up and it was going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And it was never going to end. That was the thing. It, it wasn't like you could reach a pinnacle. In, in hell, it worked the same as in heaven. My full brain operated. 
and I knew. She was taken to heaven previously. I knew all of Matthew 18. I knew every scripture that I'd ever read, and I've read the whole Bible. I knew every scripture that I've ever read, and it made complete sense, and it was completely righteous that I was in hell. And I, I, became, I, I became hate. I hated, and I continued to hate. And there were people there. They were just like me. They believed Jesus is the Lord God, but they refused to obey him. They say, we love you, we love you, but the scriptures teach, if you love me, then obey me. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't forgive. And it, it was the worst, it was the worst thing to know that in heaven, Jesus had been so patient and he was willing to forgive me everything, everything. And I couldn't forgive small offenses. I mean, in my life, they, they felt like these things had broken me. But in reality, to everything that the Lord had forgiven me of, said they were small. Now, how, how did you get out of hell? As quickly as I went into hell, these doors opened and something brought me out so fast. I entered, re-entered the room. I was screaming. The, my friend who was running the meeting, he came to the back because I was so disruptive and he started shaking me. This was at the IHOP. Yeah, yeah, he's here. You know, my good friend, Hal Linhart, he was there and he was shaking me, asking me, what's wrong, what's wrong? I mean, she has all these witnesses that saw this. I mean, she's just in a prayer meeting. Woman. Why would she get all, go crazy and get hysterical like this for no reason, you know, which further validates this. And I said to him, I've been to hell. And everything changed in that minute. As transforming as it was to go to heaven and meet Jesus Christ, that transformation does not compare to the transformation of having been to hell. You know, when we come back, I'm going to have her share the biggest lies that Christians believe that will cause them to not make heaven. Be right back. Okay, so I'm going to play that part now. She was so traumatized, understandably so, uh, that, you know, she's weeping even as she tells this story. Uh, but what did Jesus tell you as to why he took you to hell? When the Lord spoke to me, and finally healed my heart. He said, I took you to hell because I love you. And if God had not shown that to me, if I died without him showing that to me, I know I'd be there right now. He loves me and he's mighty to save. And in that instance, that's what it took. What? See, we're not all cookie cutter. It, not everybody is, is on, you know, the, forgiveness is something like, certain people struggle with and certain people don't. I don't really, I've never had the hugest problem with it. But evidently, there's a lot of people, and I might have a lot of listeners, that really, really struggle with unforgiveness. And I'm not judging you at all. I'm not. I mean, we've all got our own garbage we, we contend with. But, I mean, you know, for her, that's what it took. You believe is the biggest lie of the devil out there. 
I think once saved, always saved. And, and it's understanding as I, as I bump into people, I think that is a hell conspiracy. Yeah, I, and I mean, you look at all the scriptures we just went over. Well, I'm saved, but what if you're doing all this stuff? fornicating adultery and all all these things and it doesn't mean we live we go around and we live perfect lives and we never sin or whatever and, and and we never mess up but i'm talking about habitual you know where and there's there you're just doing it and there's no conscience of it and it's very 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 um or even if there is conscience of it you still keep doing it and, and it never ends and it you know you got to find a way and you can, you, Jesus can provide a way where there seems to be no way, but sometimes we have to get extremely serious with God in order to break free from these things. It's the biggest lie because the idea behind that, Sid, is that I'm going to give my life to Jesus today. He'll wipe away all my past sins, and it doesn't matter how I live anymore. Right. I can, I can. But that's can. the new revelation of grace, not the biblical revelation. Correct. So what about something like, the major Christian sin that I see, that I've participated in, gossip. Yeah, you know, it grieves Jesus. It should grieve us. And so inside of gossip, why are we doing that first? Until you heal that, you will constantly do that. Really, you need to go to Jesus and get your identity first. But again, I think a lot of this boils down to deliverance as well, and they don't really get into that, but it's something you need to be delivered of. And I do think Jesus can deliver you in certain instances where you're not even like, let's say you get real with Jesus and you confess these things and, and, um, you know, all of a sudden you get real with him and you're crying and, and you feel like a weight release. You, you feel, sometimes you might start coughing. Sometimes you might start, I mean, like deliverance. I've had this happen to me as well in the last year. And all of a sudden I'm like, Wow, I feel different. And I wasn't even really doing a deliverance session, but it was just me getting real with God. And, you know, this would happen. So that's, Jesus can deliver you and it doesn't necessarily always have to be, I'm, I'm doing a specific deliverance session. There's a lot of different ways the Lord can meet you. Then, inside of gossip, you have just murdered a person's reputation. This is very, very serious. You know, for myself, I've made a, I've made a salt covenant with my tongue, with the Holy Spirit, because that is one of the first sins that I was guilty of. We think, well, it doesn't matter. Of course, every sin matters. It's recorded. So when you go to bed... You do something. Tell me about that. I do. Uh, before I go to sleep, I, I, I talk to Jesus and I tell him how much I love him and I ask him, Lord, how did I do today? And sometimes he's like, Lori, you did this and you need to go fix it. And other times he tells me, you did this and I don't want you to do that anymore. And it, he uses it as a learning because there's a difference between um, immaturity and rebellion. Right. And when I'm rebellious, I, he needs me to fix it. And if I'm just immature, he just trains me in a new way of doing things. Right. Do you and can I have assurance of salvation? Absolutely. The blood of Jesus Christ saves us. Absolutely. Exclamation mark. And as a born-again believer, we obey Jesus. I've always lived my life... Uh, I repent a lot. 
And I find that if I'll do it instantly, yes. rapidly, yes. it's easier. Keep short accounts with God. That's another thing I haven't mentioned near enough in the past. But yes, uh, instant repentance, as you know you did something and you instantly repent, you're going to keep a very short account with God and you're going to avoid God's a lot of God's chastisement. Then if I let it get infected in me. Right, yeah. right. Well, and I try and teach repentance in four parts. One, agree with God that what you're doing is a sin. Two, have godly sorrow over that sin. It's more than just being sorry. Sorry, you'll do it again. Godly sorrow hurts you. Three, you confess your sin one to another, and the Bible says you'll be fervently healed. And step number four, you have to put something in place in your life. Well, the Bible says confess your faults one another. Not the sin is more of a confessional thing, Catholic thing. So I would be, you know, confessing faults one to another is one thing. Getting into gory details of every sin, I, I would be, you know, do as the Lord leads type of thing. So again, it's why it's important. The Bible version she might be quoting might not be KJV, and there's this is how you can kind of um, maybe kind of miss out on certain things. We'll never do that again. And so I teach that, and I help people figure out what number four do you need so that you don't sin against God again. And so that would be like what I would say to find the replacement to like. You know, the one that asked me about fornication and then watching porn. And I, these four steps are, are, are wonderful and can be applied to this. And this is not a comprehensive teaching where I'm covering every aspect of this. But these are great things to, to think of. Sometimes we have to put a few number fours there. And God completes that work for us because he loves us so much. But repentance is the only acceptable sacrifice for my sin. Would you lead us in a prayer? Thank you. For repentance. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Father. I love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you came to pay the ultimate price. You say we're worth it. Oh, worthy, worthy, worthy Jesus are you. And we come asking God, make us holy. Give us a hunger and a desire for holiness. God, come right now and convict us of our sin that we, we need to be free. We need to be set free from the ways of the devil. And God, if the hell conspiracy is in any of us, Jesus, set us free. Every sin that I commit needs to be brought to you, repented of. God, make me holy. And with that holiness comes more of your presence. Let me rest in the assurance you said, you said to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. I desire that. We want that, God. Would you come and rest that, wrap that around us and make us fully yours. We don't want any part hiding. Every part of us that is dark, Lord, shine your light. Oh, we love you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, we believe you're changing us. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have anything against anyone, you, it's not an emotion, it's a choice. It's not a process, it's a choice. Right. I'm going to follow God or not, yes or no. Right. And you tell 
you you release that person, you 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 say, huh, hell is not going to be worth my unforgiveness to you. And and I'll tell you something else. That does forgiveness doesn't mean you trust someone that's done something wrong to you. It, they have to earn their trust again if they want to. But it means that I am not touching that cancer. I am not touching that stuff. I don't want to touch it because that's separating me from God. And God, I don't want anything separating me Amen. from you. So when we go off the air, you choose to forgive the people that don't deserve forgiveness. So um, anyway, I give you the link to this. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do a study next if you want to know more. She, she's got like a, a book and some audios, very reasonable price if you want to get that. But um, uh, the link's here. It's, it's near the end of the study. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and I, I'm so far over time. I apologize. I'm, I'm like way over in time, but I've got to get this last part in. And uh, we're going to do one on uh, studying forgiveness, which will reiterate and bolster what we've already talked about. So God bless you, and we will see you in the fourth and final part.